to Tell the Damn Story, episode number 69. This is Chris Ryan, and... And this is Alex, Alex Simmons. Simmons. Yep. How are you, Alex? Yeah, I'm okay, Chris. How you doing? How you doing? We're doing, uh, doing well. It's uh, been an interesting week. Oh, so? Uh, right. We didn't get hit by this big snowstorm that went across the country. We didn't get hit that bad. Uh... To the west, yes, so I'm sorry for those people in the middle states. And up north of uh, New Jersey and New York, you know, those states seem to have gotten hit pretty hard. So, uh, yeah, hope, they're, breaking uh, out, they're breaking out the dog sleds and the mucklucks, yeah. yeah. I hope everything's okay. Truly. So uh, let's talk about what's trending, Alex. Yeah, well, uh, you know, go ahead. Why don't you start with that? Because you had something uh, kind of interesting. Well, well, The Punisher, Marvel's The Punisher, dropped this week on Netflix. Uh, from what I've seen so far, very intriguing. Uh, John Barenthal is perfect for that character. They have the tone of that story really well done. Um, but if the pattern continues... Oh, yeah. yeah. It did with Iron Fist and Luke Cage... And Daredevil on Netflix. In that order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Punisher will probably be canceled soon. Uh, I think they're cleaning house in preparation for uh, the coming Disney slash Marvel slash Star Wars channel. I'm not sure how they're going to put that together. Um, but I'd love to see what you think about it. Uh, can Disney... Can Disney have a Punisher show on its <laughs> Disney channel? You know, I I personally don't know, and I'll say this reason, this reasoning. The Disney I grew up with, the Disney that I've seen even over the past 10 years, makes me want to feel like, well, yeah, they've moved, they've moved towards adventure action you know and edge edgy kind of material a little bit more certainly than what i grew up with so i don't really know how far they'll go but my inclination is punisher is pretty harsh uh yeah. i don't i don't really i mean it's not the disney that i've ever encountered so i don't know well, i mean i i don't foresee a team up you know Punisher and Goofy. This time it's personal. <laughs> hey, wait, I don't but, hey, see you know, they, wait, they they uh, went they went the Disney characters with the characters from Final Fantasy. So who knows? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Um, this you time know, I would personal. be tempted if I was Disney. I would be tempted to create two or three different apps or channels or whatever. You know, the Disney characters the world of disney marvel station and the star wars station that's what i would do and then i would have marvel could have marvel daytime pro, uh, programming and then uh you know marvel nights right for the literally yeah yeah i think they could get away that way um i do hear uh that they are moving forward with their vision in the scarlet witch uh, miniseries and the um, Winter Soldier Falcon series. Uh, there may have been a third one that I'm forgetting. But here you have built-in product, built-in content. I would, it would be hard for me to believe 
that they would leave this stuff on the table, not continuing with Netflix because they, you still get rewatches on Netflix, and at the same time not putting it in as content as part of the offer. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't compute to me. You know. You know. Again, a lot of it is about you know what is the entity who's in charge of the house too because. You know, if you remember, the, the Garth Ennis run on some of the Marvel properties got pretty vicious. Yeah. It got really visceral and, and you know, not, not to be well, judgmental I mean, at the and, moment, but it got it got downright vulgar and disgusting and at times. on Netflix, they've established how rough each of these shows get. Mm-hmm. And while there was some crossover, The Punisher is clearly... Far more uh, brutal. Uh, uses the, it has the highest body count, I would say. Yep. And then Devil would be second, and so on. Um, however, they've worked it out, you know, and it's content that has an audience already, a built-in audience. So I would imagine they would do something. I mean, the DC app. I don't know if you checked out the DC app. With the Titans. I'm not really satisfied with it because it has some comics, not all, and I can't really get through where everything is. But as far as television is concerned, they have some new shows. They're really pushing Titans. Right. But you can watch the old Swamp Thing show if you want. So if, uh, uh, if, if you're using that kind of dated content, although there are charms to that show, it's really... Um, it would be beyond my ability to comprehend if they Disney did not monetize these shows and make them available again. So I guess it's you know to be seen, but a fascinating conversation. Well, um, you know, again, I think also it's it's tone to which society are they playing to, which level of society are they playing to. Um, all of these become. You know, questions about what are they going for? What's the market going to try and develop? What what do they think, or where do they think American society is at this point? Because as you said, the Punisher has not only the the largest body count, but in I mean, and I remember the first season of Daredevil and the fight sequences were intense, but the Punisher's fight sequences and and their action is downright brutal. I mean, oh, yeah. it is like hardcore trash. This 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 dude kill this dude whatever. So, literally, I'll give you, who, but I'm just, I'll give I'm just going to say, who uh, are spoiler. they appealing to? Who are they appealing to? Who do they want to appeal to? Who do they think is the audience of today that they're going to build the, the multi-million or billion dollar uh, uh, bankable uh, TV station on? Well, to that end, I'll give a spoiler from uh, Punisher Season 2, the opening 60 seconds maybe 30 seconds, we open on a close-up of uh, Frank Castle, now going by the name Pete, uh, driving, I think it's his van. His face is full of blood, and he's driving this uh, nervous teenage girl, and um, he's being pursued by one car, and... uh, Another thing happens, and his response is to casually <laughs> open fire 
and that's the that's the opening thirty seconds. So, and you got to go into the show to see what what the context is. But I'm going to use that as a springboard to play one of my favorite tell the damn story games. <laughs> Alex, you're the president of CEO of Disney. What do you do with creating a channel or channels for the Disney world, the Marvel world, and the Star Wars world? Do you make it one big channel and just put things on at different times? What do you do? You, you're, you're asking what would I do if I had that position? Okay, so Alex Simmons, yeah, CEO, okay. CEO, right? Disney yeah, <clears throat> I had that kind of power. It, all it controls. Okay, I would have to, as a businessman, as Alex Simmons, the businessman, would have to recognize again the bankability of this character and what had been established already. And so, if I looking at those numbers said, yeah, we got to have this show on our under our control or on you know being broadcast through our channels, I would have to create a separate arena. Uh, it, so it would either like be Marvel, late Marvel night, night, it would either be late night, or it would either be a separate channel, which then says that there would be more than just a Punisher that we would be developing that might be considered brutal, extreme, or extremely adult. Well, you have Iron Fist, you have Luke Cage, you have Daredevil. All of those, and... Um, oh, Jessica, Jessica Jones? Jessica Jones. Yeah. So you have, if you put on one per night, <laughs> you know? But again, these new channels are, you dump a season and they binge. Exactly, and, and people that, binge on it, so it's... So, we're going to press the CEO of Disney, now known as Alex Simmons. <laughs> uh, if only my bank account reflected that. Yeah, which is it? I would separate. Right. Yeah, that would be me. Uh, I'm sorry, you had more of an explanation. No, I was saying that would be me. That would be my mindset. Separate channels. What I'd like to do is uh, open the discussion uh, to the our arena. listeners. There's yeah. a comment section below this. Let us know. What would you want Disney to do? One channel with all the materials? Or would you be willing to buy a Marvel channel, a Star Wars channel? And if you have little kitties, a Disney channel potentially three paydays for them let us know what you think in the comments section absolutely now alex what's trending for you well you know i'll i'll make this sort of a shorter discussion because um it's my reaction to something i'm seeing that's trending um in an interesting way to me uh because of, and we just talked about, you know, Marvel and Disney, and you could also talk about Warner Brothers and DC, because of the millions, billions of dollars that are being uh, spent or made on all of these superhero, comic book, graphic novel characters, there has been this plague, this absolute plague of comic conventions. Now, some of that is comic fan enthusiast going, ooh, let's, let's, let's get together and, and have an event that celebrates the, the material and the medium that's brought all this great action, adventure, and fantasy into my life. And let's meet some of the artists that make that happen. But a lot of them have been extremely expensive productions that are really riding on the coattails of the movies, the success of the movies, the millions and billions of dollars that the movie represents. And subsequently... 
Some of them are being done by, you know, something like Reed Exhibition or Ace Comic Con or a couple of others where they can afford, they can afford to drop the money and, and really create a large experience. But the vast majority of them are being done on a smaller scale and some of them on a micro scale like libraries and schools and, and things like that. And the thing that bothers me, that I really see that bothers me um, and is but seems to be a trend is the usurping of legitimate fan fave for the family or for the the you know the the avid comic book fans those legitimate cons being usurped taken over uh, pushed out of the way by individuals or organizations that see that celebrity and money making opportunity uh, I've, I've I'm consciously aware of at least three different comic cons that were serving the people. These cons were fun. They had all the material, the comic books, the graphic novels, some of the artists that the fan base wanted. And because some career individuals saw what this could do on that scale, they've moved in and sort of pushed the founders out and taken over the entity. And in one case in particular, they failed miserably because the way I see it, most of the time, if you're not sincere about why you're doing this, if you're either not a brilliant business person or you're not really sincere about trying to create a quality experience, whatever it is, you fail. You, you absolutely blow it. And so now everybody loses. I just find that, you know, that sort of that hungry, uh, aggressive or manipulative uh, aspect of it to be very disheartening. You know, I think that there's, yes, it's crowded now. I think it's very crowded, but I think there's, there's really a better way to do this, or I would like to think there are more ethical ways to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of disheartened by that. Well, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And, uh, you know, the sad thing is that we've seen it before. One of the things that I think with what the point you're making is that when the founders get pushed to the side and they're not involved anymore, the event loses what made it special it loses its heart you know? it does it loses yeah. its heart and its direction you know and and its individuality because sometimes people come because oh this is different this is cool this is you know i get to see this i get to do that and then when the uh, the other entity takes over it's all about what's what's hot what's flashy what's what's the splash and and that's what we're going to focus on the heck with everything or everybody else and as I said, unless they're brilliant business people with deep pockets and they can really make it all happen on a larger scale, it just curls up and dies in a corner. You know, the only thing I can hope, the only thing I, I pray for is that those people with heart, they don't leave the arena altogether. You know, there was a reason why what they did worked. Mm -hmm. God, I'm, I'm such an old dude now, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it was like watching all your favorite bands they go through the fire together and they would reap success. Through, you know? yep. Reap success. And, and then they'd get to a certain point and the extreme wealth and availability and, and of you know, drugs, women, whatever, uh, would turn their heads. And then they were all of a sudden, we don't need you. We don't need you. And then they're like, they're, they're more than half 
replacements and <laughs> like their own cover band. It's also where the where the the sometimes the record companies uh, would woo the lead singer away from the band, saying, you know, it's really the show's really about you. Everybody really comes to see you, and so they take that entity and they try and run with him or her, and the band survives or doesn't. But then yeah. the lead singer gets out there, and at some point, unless they are really star material on a, on a, on a, a Nova level, a mega level, uh, they crash and burn. One album, yeah, well, two albums, and then... We saw a great example of that in Bohemian Rhapsody this year. Oh, the movie? Where uh, uh, Freddie Mercury got lured away to do uh, a solo uh, record, and it, you know, it flopped because no one was telling him no. You know, one of the one of the things that was making Queen so great was the dynamic tension of four creative people who respected each other enough to tell the truth. That's a you know an essential ingredient, and the same thing happens here with these uh, events that start off small and it's done for love, and it's done because they just so believe it, and then people come in and say this is a cash grab. The intention is completely different, and people can feel it. And I, I think that, again, you know, in, in opening up to the audience, uh, what kind of cons, you know, I, actually I should be a little bit more specific, what kind of, like, comic cons or pop culture cons do you gravitate towards? Uh, do mm -hmm. you gravitate to the ones that are all, literally, like, a lot of splash and glitter? You've got all of these, you know, stars that you can come see, and you can pay, you know, whatever the fee is, whopping or not, uh, to get autographs and stuff like that is that is that what you know you look for and is that what satisfies you, or do you like to go to the ones where you can get to meet the artist or get some original art or you know take up you know, go to some of the panels and learn the behind the scenes what what pulls you into these events what grabs you what satisfies you I would really like to know because as I said it's it's there's literally a, a, a just a swarm of these things happening year round and there's a there's a, a skill set to producing them but also there's an ethical at least i'd like to feel for many of the ones i've experienced and enjoyed there's an ethical uh, trail that these folks have come down they they love the art they love the medium they love the or respect the fans and the artists and they want to bring that together and make some money i have no problem with people making money you know it's, you got to make a livelihood that's fine but how do you do it? What, what, you know, where do you draw the line in the sand about certain twists and turns you won't apply? So, you know, I'd be curious to see what the audience feels about that. I will give my answer to try and start the ball rolling. Um, as far as what kind of con experience, I've been to the really big cons. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of years ago, we debuted uh, the Ferguson Files at New York Comet Con. As big as you can get, I would imagine. Oh, well, certainly and, that in San Diego uh, are the two biggest I know of. Yeah, and um, we had some people there, but it felt like we were a drop in the ocean, you know? Uh, and I understand we're independent, we're not a big mega company, but you could really feel like it wasn't hitting at all because we were just one more thing. And some of them were in there because there were seats and, <laughs> you know, um, and then this, uh, November I was at PhilCon, 
uh, much, much smaller place uh, took place in a, I guess, a, a double banquet hall um, in a hotel. And not that I sold a thousand books, but I had much more eye contact, uh, longer conversations. Um, I felt much more a part of the community in a uh, smaller venue than in a huge venue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love the opportunity to get spoiled by uh, a big backer at a huge venue. So anybody (laughs) wants to change my mind, that's fantastic. But um, most of us are not those uh, big companies. And in that case, you know, I want to, I I would opt for the human contact, you know. Uh, So for what it's worth, I can't wait to hear what other people have to say uh, again in the comment section. Yeah, I would agree with you in terms of, uh, it's almost like nightclub versus uh, concert hall. Yeah. Uh, you you know you you get an intimate experience in a nightclub and you can really play to your audience and with your audience, and in a concert hall you're playing to a blur because there's there's maybe there's hundreds of people there but basically with the light shining in your eyes and all that you just know you're singing to the crowd and whatever vocal responses you get back gives you you know they're they're cheering they're applauding whatever that's what you feed off of. I think with the cons that I've done over the years and I've done you know big ones and small ones and there are ones where I'm there with. Uh, back in the day, I was there with DC, or I was there with Archie. Uh, I've also done others where I'm there, you know, representing myself or Kids Comic Con or uh, Blackjack or, or Race Against Time. Uh, these are things where, again, you have a chance to actually talk to people and interact with people and share. And and I think depends really depends a lot for me on what I'm going to this con for, uh, as a patron or as an artist. What what do I want to get out of it? And that affects where I feel most comfortable. But, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I'm, I'm curious to see what the what the uh, listeners have to say about it, what our audience has to say about it in particular. Because I think that's, that's something that's either going to implode at some point, and I really don't want a lot of people to suddenly, you know, hundreds and thousands of people across the country to suddenly go, oh, later for comics and later for comic conventions. Let's, let's just get the heck away from them. I would like something to happen to where, where we, we wind up with the, the cream of the crop whatever size it is, wherever it is in the United States, that we have some some fun, entertaining, and fulfilling experiences as opposed to just a plethora of noise. So we'll yeah. see. All right, so what's, what's right. next on our that agenda here? Trending. What caught your attention this week, Alex? You did, actually, uh, because you did something that I, I you know, I, I find... Interesting. It's even tied in a little bit to what I was talking about with the comic conventions. You, but the, far more uh, socially impactful. You chose to go um, uh, participate in in a, in a march, and uh, as a support of a family member. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. I'll let you do that. But what I find interesting again is, as writers uh, or as artists, and I, I, you know, was talking to some of my students in my screenwriting class. We reflect what we see, what we experience. We pull from those life experiences, those those stories we've been told, uh, those feelings that we have, uh, our belief system, and and so forth, in order to create the the movies, the plays, the novels, uh, the comics, whatever it is. And 
aside from reflecting our, our own position in the world, we also reflect the human experience that we see. And so you, um, you wrote something a couple of years back, and then you participated in something this year. And this is, I'm not trying to make this about a political discussion. It's more about uh, the human being and the artist, in this case, you as a writer, putting yourself into real life and experiencing something that was actually uh, came at you from another area. I'm being just uh, specifically and intentionally uh, vague because I want you to sort of comment more on it. I found that to be intriguing, what happened to you or how you experienced that. We should fill some people in here. And, uh, and I'm giving so, you the opportunity to do that. <laughs> so around this time uh, last year, uh, I released a novel called A Simple Rebellion, and it was based on uh, observing the divides in this country and, and asking the tried and true author question, what if? Right? What if those divisions continued? Right? We're, demi- we're divided on a, uh, a number of platforms politically, yes. Um, Gender-wise, you know, gender, economically, religion, um, religion, oh, regional, mm-hmm. it just on and on. So I, I really considered that, and I did my research. I watched both sides and and the channels that support both sides, and uh, questioned people. Uh, gotten a lot of hot water on Facebook throwing out questions to start conversations about the Great Divide. And uh, the knee-jerk reaction was, uh, uh, it taught me a lot, but it wasn't what I was looking for. So you won't see me taking those kind of steps on on Facebook anymore. So we wrote this partially dystopian horror story, uh, but it was also called The Love Letter to America by one of the reviewers, which I... Thank God that guy saw saw it for what I meant it to be. Uh, And the climax of this uh, A Simple Rebellion, this novel, takes place at a large march, uh, in this case on Washington. Um, And the idea and the outline and most of the writing, uh, I guess the draft, the first two, maybe three drafts, were done before the first woman's march uh, on Washington and around the world uh, the day after our current president's um, inauguration. So having done my research, I had written uh, what I thought was a pretty accurate description. And um, fast forward to the last couple of months where the goddess Tina, my (laughs) loved wife, announced that um, she was going to participate in the Women's March that was held yesterday in New York City. And because anywhere my wife is is a great place for me to be, I told her that I would uh, accompany her as the reality uh, grew closer. I realized that she was providing me an opportunity not only to see how she was thinking about this issue, but for me to experience 
my fiction. <laughs> so it was this very strange experience of uh, yesterday of experiencing what I had written about firsthand um, and seeing um, as wild, as harrowing as I had depicted America in, uh, in the novel. One of the strangest and oddest experiences, one of the most disturbing experiences, is that more and more of that book is becoming uh, real. I heard an uh, interview from L.A. this week. Uh, I interviewed an L.A. teacher. Uh, they're on strike, uh, you know, for equal pay, or for fair pay and all this stuff. And, but she was talking about the conditions. And she was saying that in elementary school, there are an average of 36 kids per class. Whoa. And in high school, the average is 46 kids per class. Wow. She also mentioned that she came from New Orleans. And in New Orleans, there are no longer public schools. Every school in New Orleans is a charter school. Uh, and according to her, many, if not all, uh, owned or supported or run by corporations. I made that up in my novel to, to, you know, to project out how crazy it might get. I didn't have a clue that uh, the crazy was that close to reality. Yesterday, I got to see what, to quote the crowd, I got to see what democracy looks like. <laughs> uh, because as far as the eye could see, and, and we have a tape of it that we'll play, uh, you can... Uh, hear the crowd. I was able to see the crowd. I was able to talk to my wife, who was delightfully caught up in the moment. She is not political, so you know. Uh, she's, she's just a really pure heart that wants, wants things to be good. <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing to, to observe, and it's caught on tape for you. All right, so we're in we're in the thick of it now, Biza. We're in the we're in the million uh, the women's march. So tell me, why why did you want to experience this? Because I think it makes me feel that I'm definitely not alone in how I feel about the government today or a particular government today, and it kind of just makes you feel that um, empowered. You know, that you can create change peacefully. And that's all of me, you know, the whole you peace aspect. Yep. That's what you want. And I wanted to be a part of it, and I'm very happy that I am. Cool. Just want to join the conversation. Yes. We're too, uh, we're too divided. No one's talk listening to each other, yeah. you know? Yeah. But you want to be join your voice here. Yes. This, they're they're yes. chanting, this is what democracy looks like. We are part of what? Maybe 20, 30, 40 blocks of uh, marchers. Yep. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, this is this this is the climax, in a way, the climax of uh, a simple rebellion. And, and now we're living it here. Such a strange experience, you know? Yes. We're just saying as as far ahead as I can see, 
behind as far as we can see there people all different kinds of ethnicities age groups genders everyone's happy and laughing and you know chanting nobody's screaming and yelling and being angry or fighting you know a lot of different signs a lot of different uh, uh, hats yeah, a lot of knit hats around here today <laughs> uh, and, uh, and there's a really wide agenda. There's Me Too, there's women's rights, there's gay rights, there's immigration vegans, rights. immigrations. Uh, we passed a couple other special interests that were handed stuff out. Climate change, I've Climate seen a couple change, of those. Climate change, yeah. Uh, they want to be heard, you know? This is... This is the America I was taught by my conservative Republican father. You know, that... You work hard, and you have an issue, you can talk about it. This is the kind of America I want to live in, you know. And uh, we'll see. But it's these are the. <laughs> I wrote about these, you know. Uh, the crowds coming in, the marching, the cheering, the the signs, the you know, and then the star of the. Uh, book went to talk to them and all that that's where the climax of the book happens but so is this in your estimation is this a simple rebellion is this how we make change is this how we have our rebellion doesn't it end in wait no i'm gonna give the end away hey my wife the spoiler watch out there Tina. as a writer how did how did this experience because you just set us up with everything that you went through and things that you've heard since and how the you know the, the, the action of the book or the actions in the book and some things really played out, unfortunately, on the real stage. So here you are at this march. You are surrounded by these people. As the writer and the human being, what did it feel like for you? Well, uh, it's, <laughs> it's really surreal. Uh, I hope that doesn't sound so, uh, redundant, but it is surreal to walk through images that you described on the page and to watch. There were a couple of moments of potential clash that in the book, definitely, there was clashing. Um, to see the hope, you know, one of the, the, the wonderful thing was that I wrote this book because you know I believe in America, and I have a I had a conservative Republican father who believed in America so much that he went in the armed services not once but twice to serve in the the America that he believed in, um, and he taught me what that conservative belief was, and that was the belief was you know you help each other out. And you can have conversations and... Where you don't necessarily agree, but you can talk about it. You, you can, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can disagree and still have a conversation. You can share visions of America. And in his experience, and in a little part in my experience, our leaders would come from different points of view and figure out how they could meet the middle, I believe, the middle is the strongest place for American politics to function. Um, and that's not liberal. 
and it's uh, uh, it's more than a little part of my father's uh, um, teaching. Um, and what you saw here yesterday was a, um, with one exception that is not on the tape, uh, one woman used a megaphone to air all her personal grievances um, and just got into a racist diatribe fairly quickly. Uh, that's not my America either, you know. Um, but it it was the novels, America. Um, uh, a writer who I've, I've heard speak a couple of times uh, recently, uh, Alan Sorkin, talked about his efforts in and process in writing uh, West Wing and also yeah. in working on Newsroom. And one yeah. of the things that he brought up, which is something, you know, you and I both have experienced, but, you know, you talk about it on this level, is when he writes some of those wonderful uh, dialogue moments where two sides are going back and forth. They obviously uh, are in different places, you know, in terms of their belief system or their political stance or whatever. And he says, you, you, you have to, you know, you might be swinging in one direction personally, but as the creative telling this story, you have to also place yourself on that other side and make that individual's argument as palpable and as tangible and as solid as you're making the argument against it in order for these two characters to sound genuine as they go on. In other words, these two characters believe what they are saying. And you as a writer have to find a way to convey that through both of them. And so I'm just curious, in, in working on the project, on working on A Simple Rebellion and then, you know, the experience you had yesterday, did did you feel... When you're working on the book, did you feel that you told the story entirely from the sympathetic character's point of view, or were you able to... Every, every character I wrote was sympathetic and right in his or her view. So you, so, you, did, you did go there in your head in terms uh, of making sure oh, that... Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Every single character in there was written with respect... And, I mean, I watched a lot of uh, reporting and a lot of interviews, many, many, many interviews of people who I fundamentally disagree with uh, and believe that they are not representative of whether what, what I believe in, because they may go too far to the left, or what my father taught me, uh, because they go too far to the right. But in this novel... You know, there's no one with that little thick, dastardly mustache. <laughs> Everybody's the hero of their own scene, their own part. It's the same thing. It's very similar, I think. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Orwell. But, I mean, Orwell in 1984 and in Animal Farm, every character believes they are right. And I think that's how, as a writer, that's how you have to write. Darth Vader does not think he's wrong. He thinks he's going to bring peace to the galaxy. He really believes that. And that is what makes good drama, good and Good tension. conflict, yeah. Good conflict. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that you get is you, you get that you with your lead characters and his protagonist or antagonist in 
a simple rebellion uh, or the work we've done with Blackjack or, you know, some of the other, you know, Genius High or uh, <clears throat> even some of the adaptations I've done or even some of the Archie things that I've done with Obama and Sarah Palin. You know, there is conflict, there is contrast, there are stories to tell and within the genre you're working, there are ways to address your feelings and issues. But I think to, in order to do that, we, we need to be in touch with the subject we're talking about. We need to, to be aware of it, informed about it, and, and, and actually to have some sort of story or theme we're trying to convey to our audience. And I think with The Simple Rebellion, the fact that you hit on certain things that you know maybe we're not happy about, the fact they're happening or have happened since, um, the fact that you were tuned into what was happening at the time, the fact that you tuned into the, the, the material you were not in favor of as well as the material you were, that you did that so well that you were able to convey these moments in the story. And unfortunately, some of these moments have come to pass because, yes, you were actually reacting to the reality of the circumstance and then projecting where it could go and looky looky here we are yeah chris and i both will have personal conversations with each other and others uh in terms of our political or social or racial or religious standpoints and views and all that the show is is more about observing and being a part of life and reflecting life through our creativities and how other people do that and i think that more honest and open we can be with our audience about how we do what we do, I think, hopefully, the more helpful that is to, to others. And I would love to, again, hear from uh, not only uh, people who listen to us out of curiosity or interest or whatever, but also hear from other writers and other artists who are out there who are doing what, you know, what we do or doing their thing. Uh, how do they experience this process? How do they reflect uh, life, whatever that point of view is? How do they do it um, artistically through their craft? So... That's something that I'm still very openly curious about. Would love to hear uh, responses to in the comment section, or you know, send us an email um, on on our our anchor site. You know, you will see our email address, and on our WordPress site, you will also see an email address. So you can reach us by dropping uh, a line to us in any number of two or three ways. And so, in concluding, because you know, we we we, we like to try and leave on an up note. Um, what do you have to look forward to? over the next uh, couple of weeks, months, the rest of this year. What are you what are you looking forward to doing? Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm I'm are you talking to me we're we doing De Niro and Taxi now. Yeah, yes, I'm talking to you. What are you what are you looking are forward you to do? Talking to me? Yeah. Um I have more writing to do, more teaching to do. Huh? Yeah. Uh, I I am also the stuff that I'm writing now, we're gonna put out there. We're gonna try and um, catch the attention of a small publisher or two, become a hyphen. You are a hyphenate. You are <laughs> published and independent. And uh, I think I'm at that point in my career where uh, I need that for um, to climb to the next level of whatever this career is. Everything's moving forward, so... Um, I would say that, you know, in certain ways, you know, we have a similar course plotted. Um, I have more writing to do as well, some of it blackjack and some of it some projects that I've consistently been putting off uh, for way too long. 
uh, I've also been working on and I plan to launch, I promised myself to launch within the next two months, a couple of online writing courses that I've been developing. And I think it's time that I you know, get off my, my, get out of my own way and, and make that happen, you know, and, and how people respond to it, you know, I, I will hope will be favorably, but we will see and we will work with that. Uh, I also have, I think, you know, you and I have talked about it. We have some interesting things happening uh, with blackjack, some things that I haven't talked about extensively, but I'm hoping, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping it will come to fruition in the next few months. And then, of course, this will be one of the first places that that will announce uh, this this particular accomplishment if it if it happens the way I would like. And so I'm actually looking forward to 2019 uh, very eagerly. Uh, I hope to I hope to be more useful. I hope to be more creative, and I hope that uh, some of the challenges we've all been facing uh, find a satisfying, nonviolent conclusion, or so that we can you know move forward more positively and and do more good than harm. I like that idea. Yeah, <laughs> sits well with me too. So on that note, folks, I think you know we will we will do what we normally do, which is thank you for being with us. Uh, encourage you to continue to participate by letting us know what you think, what you want to hear, what you want to know about, how you feel about what we're talking about, hopefully something of what we said is useful. And while you're doing all that, we will continue to work hard to, Chris? Tell the damn story. There you go. Until the next time, folks, thank you very much for being here. We look forward to hearing from you and continue to tell your own damn stories. Take care. Take care, Chris. Bye-bye.